Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is the third day of the new year, 2021. I hope you are all doing well and keeping safe. It's really, really important. Uh, most of you know that I am currently under house arrest in the United Kingdom, and the whole thing is a mess right now. It's unbelievable. Uh, my rival, Boris Johnson, uh, was interviewed earlier on today. Even I don't want to talk about him, honestly. I genuinely don't want to talk about politics. They have no idea what they're doing. But one of the things I suggested earlier on this morning on Twitter, uh, for those who are my listeners, and I'm sure it's the same all over the United Kingdom, haven't you noticed how democracy, they split themselves into groups? They have a left wing or right wing. I'm not sure if it's the same in Australia, but they're left wing or right wing. What I have suggested is that, look, COVID doesn't care whether you're left wing, right wing, whether you're labor or conservative, it kills everybody. So why don't you form a government of national unity? Bring these people together because that is the only way you're going to find some solutions. I'm still waiting for the British government to respond to that, but I'm sure they wouldn't want to listen to a dictator. It gives me great pleasure to introduce you to my next guest. This is uh, episode uh, 23 of my podcast. I, I know this young man, he's a nephew, but a comedy nephew rather than a real nephew. His name is Joe White. And I always thought his name was really, really Joe White until I did some background. <laughs> of course, I just, you know, because I remember when I met him many, many years ago, I was wondering why would he call himself Joe White and not Joe Black? Anyway, two years in a row, Fringe World Festival Best Comedy Award winning comedian, Joe White, formerly known as Tilanhu Halihu. Now you can understand why he called his name Joe White. <laughs> very, very difficult to pronounce. He is one of six siblings born to Ethiopian parents, Yazina and Mulu. Admits love, heartbreak, failure, and success, Joe has always tried to find the upside in life. And this has been his inspiration for pursuing comedy. So he is an Ethiopian comedian. Some see he's uh, Trevor Noah of Australia, but I think he should be Trevor Noah of Utopia rather than of Australia. <laughs> he has experienced many hardships in life, even doesn't he doesn't show on his face, for those of you who will watch the YouTube video. And he has taught him the value of laughter in life. Now his passion is to make others laugh too. Joe's career started with the launch of his solo show, Utopian and Not Hungry. And you know what is really interesting about this is because he used to be a refugee. Now this guy is so fat in Australia, it's unbelievable. He has shown shows, <laughs> attracted hundreds of people and has already won following awards. So many awards, I can't even mention them all. Perth Fringe World Festival 2020, Perth Fringe West Festival 2019, uh, Mandura Crab Fest Comedy. It's, it, it's a long history for someone so young and a refugee doing very, very well. Yeah, bringing diversity into uh, Australia. So it gives me great pleasure to introduce you to uh, my nephew, my comedy nephew. He calls me uncle and, uh, you know, he's, he, but one of, I have to say this, I hope people will not be offended. He is, uh, I've had how many guests now? 22 guests. And he's the most ugliest guest I am interviewing right now. <laughs> So for those of you who don't like ugly people, 
<laughs> if you don't like ugly people, then you can you don't need to watch the YouTube version of this podcast. In fact, I have to say this: he had no idea that he was going to be on my podcast because he was out on a date, and I told him to suspend the date, and I want him to be on my podcast straight away. So, with no further ado, Joe White, how are you? Oh my God! What an introduction. First of all, it went too long, and secondly, it was brutal. <laughs> it was like it was like mixed emotions I was going through. You were saying all these nice things. I'm like, yes, and then the ugliest guest I have ever interviewed. <laughs> <laughs> you are a dictator for sure. Well, it's it's a pleasure to have you here. Uh, you look you look well. You no longer look like a refugee, which is good news. Praise yeah. the Lord. Uh, but it's quite disappointing that when I look at your background, there is nothing, nothing of me, no posters of me on your walls. And you, you have the audacity to, to, to criticize, you have the audacity to criticize the fact that I introduced you and it was too long. <laughs> Who the hell do you think you are? Oh. You, look, look, you are privileged. You are privileged <laughs> to be on this podcast. It's the only podcast arranged and produced by a dictator in the world. So count I yourself tried, lucky. I tried to put a poster review up, but my mom said, no ugly people in this house, we have enough. So I said, okay. Okay. So okay. I couldn't. Okay, okay. You know? now, out of respect for your mom, I'm not going to respond to that. I will respond to that off air. But how have I you been? I showed her your poster though, but she was asking me too many questions like, where did he get the ugly stick that beat the shit out of him, you know? Really, really. Tell us, it's part, it's part of the war. We've been defending Africa from the West. Yeah, making sure we don't have she refugees said, anymore. Yeah, she's a pleasant lady. She said if COVID had a body, it would look like you. And I was like, that's not nice. Are you sure? You, 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 so I think, I think what my listeners should be ready for is that apart from conducting an interview with Joe White, a, this refugee boy, is that there will be some roasting <laughs> On both sides, it's it's obvious that this is what this you interview is. It. No, I didn't start it. I just I just yes, spoke the truth. Did. I spoke the truth. No. <laughs> you roasted me first. Hey, as soon as you open the doors, it's all go. Okay. You, yeah, you're not you're not. You're not coming to Australia because I'm gonna register you after this chat. Yeah, yeah, we will we will we will talk about Australia. We will talk. That's gonna be our main subject of discussion. So, Joe, on a serious note, how have you been, and how have you been coping? since the lockdown, I can see that, you know, you, you, before the lockdown, you were just all over the world, touring, uh, doing shows and, you know, doing lots of good things. How have you been coping? Yeah, good, good. Um, I obviously, uh, hasn't always been good, but, um, cause I was on a, on a bit of a high, you know, when I first, um, well, before the lockdown, you know, we were, a lot of comedians were on this high of doing so well and having big plans. Um, and then when COVID happened, we were the first to go comedian entertainment, live entertainment was gone, uh, plans canceled. Um, and so I went from doing, you know, shows and touring to no shows and indoors. And uh, we had the festival, what was about to happen, the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. And uh, two weeks before the festival, um, we were all on edge because there were little signs that it was going to be canceled. So everybody was just like biting their fingers because we paid for marketing and marketing's already gone out. So you're not going to get your money back. So everyone's just biting their fingers going, is it going to get cancelled? Is it not? And then uh, we got an email saying the festival's cancelled. So 
that was the first time ever, I think, uh, that it's been cancelled. Um, so that in itself was a bit scary for live entertainment because we didn't know if we were going to come back to performing again. We're just hoping, and that's what kept us going. Um, so that was very sad. I made mates around me as well. Uh, one of my mates had a, a 400 seater that he sold out and um, announced the second show, and that was going to be his first special filming. Um, and that got cancelled. So now he's doing a different job outside comedy to try and meet uh, ends. Um, and then there was a window of opportunity to get out of Melbourne because I was in Melbourne, but my mom and my family is in Perth, Australia. So Melbourne, Australia, Perth, Australia. So Melbourne is East Coast, Perth is West Coast. Mm-hmm. And Perth is handling COVID possibly the best in the world. So we still have live entertainment. Clubs are open. Um, it's just no mask. It's just social distance. Everyone just there, a meter and a half, but no one really follows the rules. Anyways, in Perth, there's no cases. The only cases are in isolation. So in the world, Perth is handling uh, Corona really well because we're so isolated. Even Corona is just like, nah, it's too far, you know. And there's not much <laughs> to do here. So even Corona is like, nah, that place is boring. So it's beautiful for us. And we're Fringe is about to come back here as well. So that's the first festival in the world to come back the Perth Fringe World Festival wow which is a week okay so, so I'm doing well I'm back to being happier and and uh buzzing again you know and I'm back at home with mum as well so I get to see her while I'm in Perth okay so you're, you're in Perth at the moment and that's where Covid has been handled better couple of questions for you so you you moved from Utopia to Australia didn't you sorry I moved from Ethiopia to Australia, is that correct? No, so Ethiopia, my, my parents fled Ethiopia to Sudan. Okay. And then I was born in Sudan, and then we migrated from Sudan to Perth, Australia. Okay. Why Australia? Did you have a choice? There's, there's so many stories where people, I don't know where this information is coming from. You know, I was on radio once, and this guy goes, this guy is from a refugee camp in Ethiopia. And I was like, I've never been in a refugee camp. I've never been to Ethiopia. <laughs> and I feel bad correcting him because he's telling him he hasn't done his research, right? Yeah. So I'm like trying to find the most middle ground, you know? Okay. Um, so yeah, why Perth, Australia? Uh, I don't think we had a, a, an option, you know? Mm-hmm. You just get a, a visa to get out. And uh, we took it and we didn't know what to expect, but we knew it was going to be better than our situation in Sudan. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we had many other visas uh, given to us. Um, like we were approved, sorry, not given to us. We were approved for many other visas, maybe six times or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but we never got it. We always got told we were uh, declined. Mm-hmm. But um, the reason why it was happening is because there's a lot of corruption um, in, uh, in Sudan at the time I was there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so people would actually, once you get approved, then what happens is people would sell your visa to mm-hmm. someone who has more money mm-hmm. uh, and that person would use your details to flee to uh, other countries outside um, Sudan. Mm-hmm. So we believe we had approval visa to go to Holland, Poland, bloody, um, uh, America, mm-hmm. Canada, um, but we never got it and in a single mom, six kids. So in a patriarchal society, so it was, she was very vulnerable. So we you know, got bullied uh, by people who were considered to be rich. Um, and then, you know, after crying, breaking down, the right person saw her, asked her what was the issue. She explained what she thinks is happening. Mm-hmm. And the person took our file that got declined and uh, personally made sure that it was uh, assessed mm-hmm. and, uh, and an answer was given. We went in for an interview and then they finally said, yes, you can go through. 
and at that time it was Perth Australia that um, had accepted us so that's really why we ended up in Perth Australia. Excellent excellent so yeah um, and you said Perth why why is Perth being treated differently to all the other um, cities in terms of the response to COVID? I think it was, we're just isolated we're so far away the west coast is so far away it's like um, so to go from Melbourne to Sydney and Adelaide and Brisbane uh, and Queensland, which is all the other capital cities of Australia, Canberra, right? It's only like an hour flight to hour flight, yeah. where to go from any of those to Perth, you're looking at a four hour, four and a half hour flight. So we're isolated. That's why. Okay. Okay. And, and also we shut borders. Uh, the, the premier here. Uh, Mark McGowan, he shut the borders. He was just a hero. Now it's like, you know, women find him very, uh, he's the man of the hour, let's just say that. So he's, he's the governor of, so they have governors in, in the respective a premier, regions? I think. A premier, a premier, okay, yeah. cool. cool. So he's, he's uh, people see him, he's a celebrity in Perth now. People see him, take pictures with him. I'm telling wow. you. Wow. Yeah, all because of the way he handled COVID. He's like a celebrity now. So there's no there's no COVID at all whatsoever. There's none, no cases. We haven't had cases for maybe like nearly five months now. Wow. Wow. So he could end up and running for premiership of Australia then. Well, he's a premier already. He can run for prime minister. Okay, prime minister. Um, okay. If he can run on the basis that he knows how to handle situations and use COVID, I guess, as an excuse. Yeah. But if you go, if you look at Melbourne one, when I was in Melbourne, I was under the premier then. He was, his name was Dan Andrews mm -hmm. and he was handling it horrendously bad, like very, very bad to the point where it just felt like a dad was telling you off, you know? He was just very hard, stay home, you gotta listen. Just very upset, very aggressive. And then everybody's like, yeah, he, we need that approach. Good on you, you know? We need that hard stand, but we weren't seeing the results because we still have cases and people still weren't able to see their loved ones or go to funerals or go to work. Businesses were shutting, suicide rate was high, right? So, and then he would come on and he would still be the same character and everyone's just like, stop yelling at us. Crying. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we went from, yeah, to stop yelling at us. So he was trying to be a dictator, only just he didn't know he how to do it. He was taking your job. He was taking your job. He was trying to take your job. But I was reading somewhere. But without that silly hat, you know? Without that silly hat. <laughs> <laughs> continue the roasting, continue. Um, it, it, I was reading somewhere that the current prime minister, actually he was on Twitter, that he's not very popular at the moment because people think he's a dictator as well, but behaves like one. Yeah, well, I, I think where his downfall began was we had a bushfire. Mm -hmm. um, and Scott Morrison is his name. Yeah, yeah. We had a bushfire and uh, it was quite the, possibly the worst I think Australia's ever had. Um, and we had like nearly half a million um, animals dead. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so many people, homes got burnt. And you see this horrendous images of people uh, hiding in the water in the beaches to try and avoid the smoke. And it's just the clouds are red. It just looked like an inferno. Um, and the fireys were saying they won't get enough support from the government to mm -hmm. fight it. Um, and so everyone's like waiting for a statement. But then a statement came in, I think, from the Prime Minister Office of Scott Morrison. Mm -hmm. And apparently he was on holiday. 
Mm. But he didn't tell anyone. He snuck away to Hawaii, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And then a picture surfaced of him wearing a Hawaiian shirt with a big smile and someone putting the roses on him. So everyone, yeah, Aussies are like that, man. Like, they're nice to you, but then when it's time to go in on you because mm-hmm. you've done the wrong thing, they don't hold back. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> Even they wouldn't shake his hand on TV. He was doing, yeah. he came back, he said sorry, and he went out to see the fireys. And there's a video of him trying to shake one of the fiery's hands and the old guy's just looking at him like, I'm not scared to lose my job okay. kind of look. Okay. Refused to shake his hand. So funny. How, how are you finding life in, because I'm going to talk to you, I'm going to ask you questions about comedy as well, but how, you, how, how did you make that transition from uh, coming from Sudan to, how have you found life in Australia? Oh, look, I definitely can't complain, man. Um, I don't think anyone in my family can complain about <laughs> life in Australia. You know, it's not like we were, some, uh, we were living like the best life in Sudan. It was literally the worst life ever. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, to, to give you like a quick insight, there was a period where we were homeless for almost two years. Uh, the only way we could eat was uh, to go through bins or to beg and get whatever crumbs or change people give us, put it together and go get some food, I guess, to try and sort of uh, feed us for the day. And then the next day, same thing. At night, mom would play security. So she would try to make sure grown men don't try to kidnap us, rape us or traffic us into, you know, whatever, um, like child soldier or sex industry or, um, or, you know, sell us or anything like that. So she would play security. And again, keep in mind, it's a woman in a patriarchal society. So Mm -hmm. she was also at risk herself, Mm -hmm. right? So she didn't know what to do. And some nights uh, while she falls asleep, you know, things will happen. Like my brother would walk away or we would wake up screaming because some guy's trying to take my sister. Um, And so that was the fear at night going to bed. So she would try to stay awake most nights, but obviously impossible. Mm. Um, So what she did was she got like a rope and some clothes and stuff and she would tie everyone to herself so she would mm. tie us by the leg by the hands by the you know just by our limbs to her so that whenever someone tried to take us in the middle of the night it will sort of pull her and she'll wake up and oh. that was you know the alarm security so mm. we've gone from that type of security to now in australia where we're in our room and we just walk up to the door and go beep, 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 and no one can touch <laughs> us you know? and we can sleep comfortably you know? oh dear so, oh dear so we can't really complain how can you complain yeah, thank, thanks for sharing that. And I think, I think quite a number of people need to understand and hear that story because even if they're not refugees, I have lots of examples of people who've come from Africa who had um, a difficult life and have arrived in the West. And despite, uh, so for example, if a lot of people complain about the Nigerian health, not the Nigerian health service, the National Health Service, which is a health service in the United Kingdom. Uh, and it's free, but people still complain about it. And if you've come from a country mm. where you don't have free health service, it's a, it's a joy to have one uh, as, as an example. Yeah. 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 It's so funny you say that because when we, uh, just to give you a quick idea. So when we came here to Australia, uh, they've got a welfare system here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the welfare system helps single moms. Mm-hmm. So it gives you, uh, every fortnight, it gives you money. Mm-hmm. Depending on the number of kids you have, it gives you mm-hmm. like, uh, maybe a hundred and something dollars per kid, mm-hmm. right? So when we kept, we didn't have that in Sudan. Remember, we had to beg, mm-hmm. we had to go through bins, mm-hmm. we had to just hope for the best. 
So we come here and mom's a single mom and she's got six kids. So they're giving her like mm -hmm. maybe, you know, 600 plus dollars uh, a fortnight, mm -hmm. right? In some places in Africa, $100 a month is what doctors and teachers bloody make. Yeah, yeah. Right? So she's getting $600 plus a fortnight, but she didn't know what it was for. And we went to the welfare office and they're like, oh, uh, here's $600. And she's like, ask them what it's for. And I asked what it's for. And they said, oh, it's for the children. And my mom was like, no, the children are not for sale. What? <laughs> <laughs> She thought this money was to take us away. Yeah. Like, oh. She honestly thought they were, she was um, something was so fishy, and so mm. um, that's that's just like so. We're always grateful to be here. Mm. I just wanted to share that before I interrupted you. Sorry. No, no, no. That's fine. That's fine. But please take please take your time because uh, we've got we've, I've got time. I've got time to listen to your story. Um, why comedy? What, 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 tell me about how comedy began. And why comedy? Oh man, it's actually like a really, what's the word I'm looking for? Like really just weird. Um, so I was working a normal job, right? So I was a banker for Bankwest, which is a bank here, local bank. And I worked my way up within three years. And my position was uh, when I left, so I went from personal relationship manager to business home lending manager. So I write loans home loan for small businesses on behalf of the bank and my package was close to 80k a year but if you get bonuses and stuff it can push you over 100k a year so it's a good job and you had to wear a suit mm. you get um like if you even don't have your tie mm. right you get sent home or mm. you have to answer why you don't have a tie on so they're mm. very strict like that and so i was doing that and then um i had a relationship breakdown at the time so i was with this girl for 10 years and then it ended, we were engaged to be married. Um, and that really devastated, because I was like, yo, this is my ride or die. This is my Bonnie and Clyde, you name it, Avonjo. This is like your seven beautiful wife. They're never going to leave your side. You know, yeah, I had that mentality. She's never going to leave my side. And then when she did, my mindset was not in line with the norm anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, there was all this commotion and I was trying to define my, I guess, my true self. Mm -hmm. And so... When I went to the bank, you know, it required you mentally to fully be present. Because if you make any mistakes, it's like a 20K lawsuit that would hit you and hit the bank, right? So you had to mentally be there. And so I was dealing with the breakup in my head. I had a house at the time and that was going to shit. So I ended up losing that. I was in debt from that. Um, I was just didn't know what was going on, but I was trying to stay sort of composed and zen. Then I was on YouTube literally watching like eight hours of motivational stuff just to stay with it you know mm -hmm. and i was listening to a lot of les brown and all that and so that was keeping me sort of saying someone constantly in my ears just talking positivity um because you know when it's just you and yourself and you're going through shit you're not going to win with yourself in your mm -hmm. head it's going to be negative 80 percent of the time so mm -hmm. to sort of position myself in a in a you know strategical way i had like motivational stuff playing and then my sister, my twin sister called me and she's crying and she's like, I need you to come over now. And I went to her house and she goes, you're not going to believe what happened to me. I went and saw a psychic lady in the market and I was like, oh, you know, psychics. I was like, oh yeah, mm -hmm. what happened? And she, like she said, she spoke some truth to her. She told her about her 
two best friends that she had that uh, who are young Ethiopian ladies, 25, 27 sisters, just graduated. This is probably about 10, 10 years ago in Perth, Australia. They graduated with their degrees, went back home to Ethiopia to visit their family while on a tour bus of like 50 tourists traveling, the bus plummets oh, like yeah. 80 uh, meters or over 100 meters and it bursts into flame and everyone dies. So her two best friends end up dying. And so the conversation my sister had with them, the psychic lady was telling her stuff that only she should know, like my okay. sister should know because the psychic lady wasn't there. So that freaked her out. And so she cried, got emotional and went home and called me. And then as a joke, she goes to me, you should go and let's see what she says about you because you've had this massive shift in your life. And at the time, uh, President Obonjo, um, the ugliest uh, dictator I've ever known, at the time, <laughs> <laughs> stay with me. I'm listening. <laughs> I'll come back to you on ugliest gonna, dictator. <laughs> I'm going to screenshot this because no one's going to believe me how ugly you are when I get up. <laughs> You're welcome to screenshot it and tell the world. <laughs> My mom's asleep and I'm going to put it next to her. She's going to think she's having a nightmare. And I'll show her. <laughs> if this is what ugly looks like as a dictator, look, you want to compare, gonna be like, no, you wanna compare me to Saddam Hussein? Huh? Do you want to compare me? <laughs> well, go on, go on. <laughs> yeah, so um, she goes, you should go and see what she will say about you. And I went because I was just at the time just looking for an answer, whatever, you know. And we're sitting there and she says some things about me again, no one should know except me and that person that I was talking to at the time. And so I started to get alarm bells. I'm like, holy shit, maybe this woman actually knows things. You know what I mean? And so I said, oh yeah, what more can you tell me about my purpose in life, my work, you know? Because we need to find our purpose. And she said, um, she did this weird looking around over my shoulders, assessing, you know? Um, and then she goes to me, are you a rapper? And I said, are you stereotyping, right? Honest conversation. And she just giggled and she said, no. I, I said, no, I'm not a rapper. And then she goes, are you a public speaker? I said, no, I'm not a, a public speaker. I'm a banker. And then she laughed and she said, you don't like that job. It's just a position of power and that's what you like. So long story short, she said, what I see you doing is on, I don't know what it is, but it's on stage. You're speaking to people. And the energy is beautiful. So you're like, you know, when you walk in and you're high-fiving people, that's the energy that I see. It's good mm -hmm. energy. Mm -hmm. I can see you on stage. Mm -hmm. So not off stage, on stage. Mm -hmm. so, and that's your purpose. And you're going to do well in it, but you need to give it a go. And then I was just like, well, I don't know what it is, but she's like, you need to find it. That's what your purpose is. It's not banking. And so I was like, interesting. Okay. And so we wrapping it up. And before I left, I was like, oh, a month ago, I actually wrote like one page of, comedy stories about mm -hmm. my family mm -hmm. and I thought maybe I should try comedy because my friends are always like you should try comedy and part of motivational speaking is telling me to try everything actively look for my purpose right mm -hmm. and not let fear get in the way mm -hmm. so to be true to that I, I mentioned to her about the one page that I wrote and she's like you have to do it that's your calling and I was like all right no worries lady in my head I'm like crazy lady right but while I was leaving, she even messaged me. She's like, you must do it. And I'm like, wow, she's really persistent. She believes in me. I should just give it a go and see what it's like. And I did. And two applause breaks in my first five minutes. I felt the most alive I've ever felt in my whole life. Right? Mm -hmm. And you know, when my ex fiance, when we broke up, 
right? That was the most, that was worse than Africa, the pain that I felt, right? Mm-hmm. People going, how can I be worse than Africa, dude? It's just a heartbreak. You can just go be with another person. You'll fall in love again, right? But it didn't feel that way because I'll tell you why. Africa was a collective suffering with my brothers, my mom, and my sisters. Mm-hmm. The breakup was just me and this person that I put so much of myself onto, like with, with them. When they were gone, I was like naked pretty much, right? Mm-hmm. So when I found comedy, it was like my life made sense again. Mm-hmm. And on the way home after that first gig, man, I was crying. I was punching the horn. I was like, yes, I found my purpose. I'm ready to do an arena now. <laughs> Already. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so a psychic. I love it. A psychic created an ugly comedian. Well, you know, fantastic, you know? Yeah. I told my mom, she's like, if you're going to tell me about psychics, you need to leave my house right now. <laughs> I was like, I'm just joking. There's no psychic. God came into my dreams in my sleep, mom. And he said, yo, you're funny. You should do comedy. And I was like, all right, thanks, God. Yeah. I don't know why you're white, Jesus, but thank you. And then I went. That's yeah. what I tell my mom. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so that happened. So what then happened next? Because obviously you said your first gig yeah, applause break arena. Um, I'm sure you've had experiences of dying on stage, things not happening. Oh yeah, like not my first gig, but um, uh, I'm five years in now, and yeah, I've had I've had some rough gigs, man. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I like to do um, is throw myself in the deep end mm-hmm. and just see what happens. You know? mm-hmm. I find myself to learn quicker when I do that. Mm-hmm. So. I've done that just over and over and over, and I still do it. Now I've slowed down a little bit, but I always uh, consciously take time out to go, okay, let me assess when and how since the last time I threw myself in the deep end. And if I can't find it in my head, I go and do it, right? Mm -hmm. So one time, the worst bomb I think I've had that I struggled to forget, (laughs) right? So it was in Adelaide, it was Fringe Festival. I did well, and then the promoter had another show upstairs, but it wasn't a comedy show. It was like a Motown singer. And he goes, Joe, why don't you go upstairs and just do 10 more minutes, warm the mm. crowd up, mm. and then the singer will come in. I was like, yeah, sure. I went upstairs, confident, buzzing from that gig, and it was just a sea of like people 50 and above. All looked mm. like they had money to buy and sell me three times at least, right? Mm. So I'm like, all right. So I'm on stage, and I'm doing my bit, you know, talking about my mom. I'm mm-hmm. talking about like refugees. I'm talking about Australia. And the whole time they're just silent. They're just looking at me. And all I can hear is, ooh, ah, ooh, <laughs> that poor man. Like that's all I could hear. And then there was one lady in like 60, from 60, 70 people, one lady in the front and she's like, having the best time, right? And you could hear her laughing, just her, mm-hmm. right? And her head's going back and she's laughing. And I'm like, I'm glad you're here. But I just couldn't work out why the rest weren't uh, feeling me. And then when I went backstage, she came backstage. And I'm like, I don't know what happened. She was like, I thought you were funny, honey. And she gave me a hug and stuff. And I was just, I've never forgotten that gig. That's mm-hmm. the worst bomb I've had. So you, you, do you miss your old life in terms of uh, the banking? Um, definitely not. Okay. Definitely not. Yeah. There, obviously, there was the security that comes with fortnightly payment. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, with comedy, it's touch and go, man. It's like you're constantly on, on, especially at the early stages, constantly, when am I going to get my next 
or something better happen quickly where I have some income, you know, because mm-hmm. when I left banking, I, I did have a little bit of saving that I was able to uh, continue off and uh, do things with it. Um, but, you know, as it goes down, you're like, oh, shit, you know, something better come my way. Because in the early stages, it was just a lot of spending, mm-hmm. a lot of learning, a lot of building your brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I didn't have time to worry about poverty. And again, you know, I come from poverty, so I wasn't really that worried to spend and go in hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I've just made some, some crazy decisions in the early stages that have financially, mm-hmm. uh, but also comedically, that have put me now in a position where it's amazing, you know. I could sit on a table with Mav Jobrani, mm-hmm. uh, Amini, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> and a uh, couple of LA comics, mm-hmm. and it's like they're my mates, you mm-hmm. know. And I would never have met them if I hadn't believed and invested in myself and yeah. backed myself up financially. Yeah, that's 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 a good that's a good point for up and coming comedians. So, are you the only? Um, Refugee, ugly, Ethiopian, Australian comic. <laughs> no, there's three of us. <laughs> okay, because you know before before I'm I said the only that I only have someone there. Well, you can call yourself that. I wouldn't. Um, I <laughs> I um before I started doing some research on you, I always saw you as a Facebook comedian. You know, there's some Facebook comedians who don't really perform, but it's just for photoshops of themselves. On a large stage with an audience. Um, <laughs> You're not the only one. Don't worry. There is a line of comedians. You should see my blocked list. Comedians are blocked who are toxic. There's quite a few. Yeah. That's why when you said comedians rule the world, I was like, get out of here. Yeah, I know. I know. I I'd know. rather COVID. You know. I have COVID. <laughs> Tell me about because one of the things I picked up, as you know, I'm currently based in the United Kingdom. Uh, after discovering comedy, I decided to stay after a state visit. And I've noticed that quite a number of Australian comics come to the UK to perform and even stay. Why is that? What's the, what's the Australian, I know you've got several fringe festivals that take place. What's the, before the pandemic, obviously, what's the state of the comedy industry? How easy is it? How big is it? And I don't think it's that big, is it? It's definitely not big compared to the UK and America. Um, and that's one of the main reasons why um, Australian comics would head over to the UK or America. Because mm-hmm. um, we believe that, you know, if you want to do arenas and stuff, that's, or if you want to make it big in terms of being on movies, mm-hmm. crossing paths uh, with the world's elite, it's, a, it's hard to do it from Australia. You got to go do it from overseas. And plus, in Australia, it, it, we feed off America and the UK, so mainly America. So if you get big overseas, you're instantly big in Australia anyways. Yeah, yeah. So that's why we go. But it's not, it's not because, um, well, I guess, yeah, it's because Australian comedy is, you know, they, there's only so far, so far, so high you can go. Um, and I noticed this with Canada as well, you know, there's only so high you can go before you have to go to America. Mm-hmm. So with Australia, it's like there's only so high you can go before you can go, you have to go to the UK or America. Okay. So are you there yet? Do you see yourself coming to the UK? Even though oh, we don't definitely no, that. even though we don't grant refugee status, but are you <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, you know, you mentioned refugee, right? So I did a gig and uh, uh, I was emceeing it, and the headliner was there. I didn't know who he was. Uh, old fella from like back in maybe thirty years, he's been doing comedy, and he comes over and he goes, "Wow, young man is is good." bloody refugee come here and take my job you know <laughs> so i was like oh it's good play yeah. so that refugee uh quite that's come up quite a lot um i do see myself coming to the uk i've mm. already um so my plan is to go from australia to canada to america to the uk mm. um so i went to canada in 2017 uh did a six-month tour there and it mm. went great and it was, for me personally it was an indication that I would do well in America if I was to go there as well. Yeah, yeah. So my plan is Australia, Canada, America, and then uh, the UK. Um, so I want to go to America. I'm supposed to go to America this year, but oh, sorry, last year, but COVID happened. So hopefully I can go toward the end of this year. Mm-hmm. If not, then hopefully next year, but America and then the UK. Mm-hmm. Good, good. That's good. my strategy. That's your strategy, not Africa, not Ethiopia. Oh, well, you know what? Last night I had a catch up with a friend and he's like, you need to go to Africa. There's so much money to be made there. And I'm like, what kind of money? And he spoke of so much corruption. And I was like, well. <laughs> <laughs> no, but on a serious <laughs> note, like... on, a, on a serious note, the, the, I can speak about the Nigerian market. It's really, really grown. It's, it's, you can make money in the Nigerian market. You've got the right connections and the right people. So I yeah, think you got to for... have the right connections. Yeah, you've got to have the right connections, but for comics like ours who are based abroad, we should not neglect Africa. Africa is a big... Uh, I made some connections with um, Tenjiwe. You must know her from South Africa. Oh, Tenjiwe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, you know, she was telling me about the South African market. So, you know, especially Ethiopia. Ethiopia, I'm sure, I would almost describe Ethiopia like if, if it had oil, it would be able to go in the, yeah, there's no oil there at the moment, but if comedy was oil, that is a big, yeah. a big market, especially if you can speak a language. Ethiopia, they'll come. The people will come. If you, mm. if you advertise as a uh, diaspora Ethiopian uh, coming back to perform, mm. they'll just come to see you perform in English. You know, yeah. Yeah. they don't want to know what it sounds like. Uh, so I have definitely you, have Ethiopia in mind, but Uganda, I've been hearing a lot about. Have you been there or? Uh, no, no, I, 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 can, I can understand why you feel that I'm from Uganda. And let me just explain. Um, I'm half Nigerian, half Ugandan. My late Are you father, half Ugandan? Yeah, my late father. Yeah, yeah, You're not late, full Nigerian? No, no, no. My late father, Iki Amida, had, a, had an affair with a Nigerian woman. And that's how I got created. What? Yeah. No but, way. Yeah, but not many people know this. Not many people know this. And I've kept it. I don't know why I revealed it now, but not many people know this. Is it true? Yeah. Or is this like a, a joke? It's true. Really? Yeah. My 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 father the doctor, had a, my late father had an affair doctor, with a yeah, had an affair with a Nigerian woman. Did the drop you on your head when you came out? <laughs> <laughs> no. Which would explain why look, we need to put a bag on your head. No, no, I look better. I, I look, look, come on, I look better than my father. Wow, look at you with your glasses. I look better I'm than my you, father. You took them off and you look like a million dollars with the glasses. Never wear them again. Take off the hat. You look like without the hat. No, no, let's go back to our discussion. This could be a modeling career if you take off the hat and you look like Beyonce. And also, you go from Jay-Z to Beyonce. Like, yeah. I'm not sure why I revealed that, actually, but it's okay. Why are you blinking your eyes now? You think you're all cute and shit. 
<laughs> Calm down. That's because I can't see without the glasses. Uh, so we need to put the rainbow flag behind you after this behavior. What? What is the rainbow flag? I, I, I don't know. Moving on. Moving on. Focusing on comedy. <laughs> focusing on comedy. Um, they, there are quite a number of British comics who come to um, Australia, especially during those fringe festivals. Um, and it was, you know, you and I have had discussions and it's, thanks for trying to encourage me to come. Um, and then COVID arrived. Uh, I know Did the likes you do, of- free accommodation. Yeah, Stephen, Stephen K. Amos is, do you know Stephen K. Amos? Gonna, yeah, I've met him. Okay. Um, I was gonna, because uh, I did promise you free accommodation if you came down, um, but we hadn't done live chat before. This is the first time. So after I've seen your face, I, was, I don't know if we're gonna do free accommodation. <laughs> <laughs> Our rent will go up. The, the owner will look at you and be like, Jesus Christ. But I would, I would say, I would say that you know it won't be free accommodation. I will be. If I got my act together and my people make connections with the Australian Prime Minister, I will be coming as the, you know on a state visit uh, to do comedy. Yeah. I you know why would I want to stay with Red a refugee? That, that, yeah, why would I want to stay I'll with... be to stay with you. <laughs> I'll be begging you to colonize me, please. I'll be staying with you. Take over. But how um, would yeah, you, so how, how, yeah, how do you, how do you think? So I, the point I was making is that British comedians have been to come to the festivals and do very, very well. I know that um, Stephen K. Amos is, is, is very popular there. How do you think they will react to my comedy as, as, a, as, a, as a comedy dictator? Here in Australia? Yeah. Man, just the fact that you are African on stage, their mind will blow, it will be blown. And really? the fact that you're wearing a costume no, excuse Again, me. that's a major, major. Excuse me. Excuse me. I, I regard that as an insult to call it a costume. It's a uniform. It's the Laugh Republic uniform. So get it in your. It's not a costume. This is not. This is not that's a cabaret. Sorry. It's not. It's. This is the so real. Sorry, President. You, okay. Go on. So sorry, President. I thought you had a costume and a mask on. But no, 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 no. No costume. Real. No mask. We're well, going. <laughs> uh, how do you explain the face? Sorry. <laughs> Um, get used to my so, face, yeah, mate. Get used to my face. <laughs> and then the accent, the British accent. Yeah. Um, your jokes, I've heard some of your jokes. Your jokes, you would absolutely smash it here. Mm. Absolutely. You would sell out. Mm. But would they be expecting? What's really interesting is uh, I've only just started speaking this way, sounding very British since the lockdown been on the house arrest because I watch so many British TV programs. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, on a serious note, Australia, Australia is, 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 is one market I want to, I gen genuinely want to come and perform and, and do those festivals. Um, but I, I keep, you, I, you would blow them away. They would not know what to expect. I keep, hear, I keep hearing horror stories about how people don't financially make enough, even before the pandemic. They said the festivals were not the way they were um, in years, that people were not making money um, like they used to. Do you know? It just depends. Um, I don't find it like that, um, but maybe because I have a base in Perth at the Fringe. Mm. Um, but it's not even that. I think it's just how much money. I sat down with one of the comics from the UK uh, at one stage, and we were just talking, you know, how sales were going. And, uh, 
you know, he asked me what I was doing that was working for me. And then I gave him the rundown of all the marketing that I've paid for yeah. uh, and the marketing that I'm doing. And I asked him if he's doing any of them. And he was just like, nah, he was just flyering. And then social media, that was his approach. And he had like under, under 10. And at the time I had over a hundred coming. Mm-hmm. So, but that, those ticket sales cover the money I've spent on marketing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. but you got to take the risk. Mm-hmm. So you can't be scared. You got to mm-hmm. take the risk. You got to, on top of paying for marketing, you got to also do the social media. You got to also do the flyer and after gigs. You got to, you know, hit the streets and flyer Mm. um, and just constantly be active about your Mm. ticket sales. Mm. I check my ticket sales almost every day, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm always doing something. So I've got publicists. I've got uh, fringe marketing that I've purchased. I've Mm. got social media stuff. I've got friends who help. I've got uh, producers to help. Mm-hmm. So you so got a team. You got a team just, of people. You got a team of people. Yeah, and you, you got to do it as a team. That's why it will succeed by yourself. It's good luck, man. Yeah, man. So you got because I've I've often felt that comedy, your your comedy act has to be a brand. People have to see it as a brand. And uh, I have to ask you, why Joe White? Why did you choose Joe White? Because you're definitely not white, and you're not a Joe. Yeah. Look. Um, you know, that one is quite controversial, uh, Joe White, especially amongst uh, my African um, people. Mm. And uh, some people, you know, that they get worked up and they get political uh, and they're like, oh, you know, you're trying to be white. Are you not proud to be black? And, mm. um, you know, and I don't obviously take offense to that. I try to explain if they have the same, if they have, you know, the level of mental maturity and they're actually genuinely interested in wanting to know why. Mm-hmm. Then I try to have a chat and explain. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, uh, the, the reason why I did it uh, is because when I was in school, um, when I first arrived here and I, when I was in school, they asked me what my name was. And I said, Pelahun. that's my Ethiopian name is Pelahun. And you butchered it earlier, by the way. Yeah, I'm a butcher. Are, like, I'm, 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 a, I'm a butcher. What do you expect? I, but, I butcher. Yeah, true. <laughs> Yeah. I'm not going to apologize for butchering your name. <laughs> no, no. If you did, you'd uh, you'd lose your your presidency. So, yeah, but go on, go on. Um, so they couldn't pronounce it, and when I was playing soccer, they're like, "We can't pronounce your name, man. Can we give you another name?" I said, "Sure." And they said, "Can we call you Michael?" And uh, my English was bad at the time, you know, and I'm trying to like blend in into this new society that I've just migrated to. Mm. So. I said, no, nah, no, Michael, no, Michael, because I had a friend called Michael who I despised, right? So I'm like, no, Michael, no, Michael. And then at the time, I was listening to the R&B singer, Joe. I don't know if you, if you have Joe in the UK. Excuse me, that's very... You know Joe the thing? J- Joe who? His name is just Joe. That's his R&B. No, yeah, I know Joe. I, I, I know Joe, the African-American. Yeah, the African-American Joe. How cool is he? No, he's cool, but you, you're not Joe. Yeah. yeah, but I wanted to be Joe. Okay, cool, you know? cool, cool, cool. And so when they said, what about Joe? I was like, yo, I love Joe the singer. Mm-hmm. I like his whole style, his whole mm-hmm. swagger, mm-hmm. you know, he's a ladies man, he can mm-hmm. sing. I was none of those, right? Mm-hmm. But I wanted to be that. Yeah, yeah. So you're I was ugly. like, Joe's like... <laughs> 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 ugly Joe. That's what you should call it. It's ugly Joe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
so it was um so i liked joe at the time so i was like yeah call me joe call me joe so they started calling me joe um and then when i went to school the first day at school there was a rough school as well and again i was trying to blend in and make friends and not get bullied and they go what's your name and i said uh joe and then they went oh okay joe you know and you see the way when people ask an immigrant or a black person or a minority what their name is the person's always like shoulders are stretching they're just like getting ready for this aggressive hard to pronounce name that they're gonna sweat to pronounce um so when i said joe i find that it disarmed that you know they were a lot more receptive to me um and i was like okay cool so i guess my name is joe now my nickname um and then i'd go to class and i'd go up to the teacher because i've already told everyone my name is joe right so i don't want to be a liar in this brand new school of rough characters <laughs> so i'd go up to the teacher and i'd go miss uh, i know that says Allahun, but it's actually pronounced joe so can you call me joe mm-hmm. and the teacher will obviously be like okay cool i'll call you joe so i'll sit down like joe and i'll be like present and i did this like almost all the way to year 12 right and then we had a relief teacher and the relief teacher is trying to pronounce Tlahun and he's just doing a worse job than you right and we it's just a worse job so it's like all this all this you name it the teacher was doing it and she was looking up every time as if she's like pronouncing it right and uh, I was too, I was a class clown then, and I didn't care what people thought of me after that. I was one of them anyways. And uh, I just went present, and everybody was just like, <gasps> like shocked that I wasn't Joe. And mm. I was like, surprise, I'm an immigrant. <laughs> <laughs> it's not my fault they, they expected yeah. me to have such a name. Yeah, your story reminds me of when I first started performing uh, comedy 11 years ago. And... Uh, I'll arrive in the green room and the MC obviously struggling to remember how to pronounce my name will come to me three times. How do I call your name? President, President Obonjo, Obongo, Obongo, Obonjo. Oh, can I just call you president? No, you have to call me President Obonjo. And he will still go on stage and call it the wrong way. President Obongo. And Obongo is a racist <laughs> name, you know, of course, you know, they call Obama Obongo. Yeah, Obama, yeah. Obongo. If you Google Obongo, Obama yeah. will come up. So it's a it's a racist term, Obongo, rather than Obonjo. And it took them a while before they could pronounce my name properly. It took them a while. Took them yeah. A while. yeah. Wow. And but it's not yeah. hard, Obonjo, you know? Yeah, so that's is. where the name Joe came about. And so Joe was just my name in, in school. And then they would call my house and they'd be like, is Joe home? And my mom would be like, wrong number. And she would hang out, wrong number, you know? And then one day she just goes, who is Joe in this house? And I was like, me. And then she just stopped belting me for changing my my birth name. Mm-hmm. Um, but Joe was my, and, and they used to call me Joe Black in school as well, because I'm black. And then mm-hmm. Joe, they're like, oh, Joe Black, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so Joe was like my alter ego name. Mm-hmm. And when I went into comedy, I was Joe Halu, because Halu was my real name, my last mm-hmm. name. Um, but it sounded like boring. It didn't. It wasn't funny. It wasn't interesting. Mm. And if Kanye West can have a name, like why can't I have a nickname? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and because it's comedy, yeah. I want it to be funny. You know, mm-hmm. if I went with Joe Black, which is what I wanted to, it's so predictable. Joe mm-hmm. Black, oh yeah, we know mm-hmm. why. You know, mm-hmm. there's no reaction to it. Mm-hmm. So then my friend is like, dude, just go the opposite. And that's mm-hmm. comedy. If the mm-hmm. audience knows where you're going with the punchline, mm-hmm. they don't find it funny. Mm-hmm. So 
I went with the opposite, Joe White. So when I used to come out, like they used to just laugh because I wasn't white and the name is Joe White. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's so mm-hmm. hacky now that we look back at it. But at the time, I was just like, oh, they're laughing without me saying a word. This yeah, is definitely. <laughs> that's, definitely. That's the strategy behind it. And it's just catchy. That's why it is. Nothing to do with racial anything. Oh, I guess in some way it does, but nothing to do with me not being proud of uh, being an African man. You know, I know a lot about Africa, research. Mm-hmm. Um, no, you don't worry. You don't, you don't have to convince me. I see you. I see, you know, a, a refugee. I never convinced other people. Don't worry. <laughs> but, you know, it's really interesting. It's really interesting how I think for me, it's really important that once you set your path in terms of what you want to call yourself, that you actually stick to it. So well done for sticking to it because the, the people can misread. Certainly when I saw that name, Joe White, I wasn't thinking about it in terms of, oh, why is he calling himself Joe White? I just thought, wow, that is a clever brand name. That is just so clever that you read that name. So you, you, you start laughing basically because there's just something ridiculously funny about it. So that's the way I- Thanks, I, man. That, that's the way I saw it. The so, most kindest thing a dictator has ever said to me. I was, well, you, better be- come, you better end up with something horrible. <laughs> I'm a benevolent I, I, I am a benevolent dictator. I'm a benevolent dictator. That's what you I better is. insult my ancestors after that. No, 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 I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. So we're talking <laughs> about Australia. Um, but part of what I do with this podcast is, and I know you've, uh, <laughs> in a way, almost criticized it about if comedians rule the world, um, and you're a comedian, if you were in a position to rule the world on any particular subject, be it COVID, or maybe you were you were fortunate enough to be prime minister of Australia, what would you do differently compared to the current leader? Um, I, I see when I am, like, I like to think I'm a nice guy. Do you know what I mean? So if I, if I was to rule the world, I would um, do, I guess I would do nice things. You know what I mean? I would make sure everyone stays home and I would give everyone uh, money to stay home. Because right now that is, that is the issue, you know? The issue is people can't stay home because they need to make money to pay the bills. Mm-hmm. But they're forced to stay home because they've got COVID or if they don't have it, they'll get it. They'll pass it on to the vulnerable. And mm-hmm. so they have to stay home. Mm-hmm. It's in the best interest of society. However, if they stay home, they lose their family business, forget COVID, they'll end up killing themselves, mm-hmm. right? Because they've lost everything. They've worked hard for everything that they're kept in their, like their forefathers have, you know, uh, passed on to them. And then imagine if you, the, the business has been in your family for 100 years or 50 years mm-hmm. and you're the person that it perishes when you're mm-hmm. in charge of it. So that burden is there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd understand that side and I'd give out money. So I guess the country would be broke if COVID doesn't go away because I'll be going, oh, stay home, guys. Here you go. Take this, take that. So are, you, are, so, you telling, are you telling me that the current government, because in the UK, the government has been giving people money to stay, not necessarily to stay at home, but it's called um, for long. So if you are self-employed or if you can't go in and work, um, there is some kind of payment being made to people. You're saying that's not happening in Australia at the moment? It is happening, but not enough, Abondo. Okay. It is, it's only enough if you're unemployed previously mm-hmm. and now you're getting some type of money. So you're like, oh, cool, free money. 
Okay. You know what I mean? But if small businesses um, have been impacted the most yeah. uh, and hard. Mm-hmm. And so those, those businesses are not getting enough. Okay. Their, their income has been, you know, slashed from like bloody maybe, I think JobKeeper here is about $1,700 a fortnight or $1,750 yeah. or 1800 a fortnight mm-hmm. where that business would have made bloody you know, 10,000 or more fortnight, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even, even triple, quadruple that. Mm-hmm. So that is a big loss. Yeah. Okay. So, so I would make sure they get enough money. Okay. And that's why we will go broke as a, com- as a country. Okay. <laughs> okay. So that, that is almost the end of a conversation I interview on the basis that you've uh, gone past, you set yourself a record when we were talking earlier on, you said, no, you shouldn't do more than 50 minutes. You've done an hour already, just talking. Has it been an hour already? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, an hour of talking. Right. It's like, when I look at your face, the world stops. I'm just like... <laughs> well, you can say you can say whatever you like because you are in Australia and not in the UK. <laughs> um, one final... Have you been tested? Have, have I what? Have you been tested? Uh, no, I haven't. I haven't gone. Have you? I, no, not yet. We... You should. You don't look well. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> you do. <laughs> I look great. I don't need to be You look dehydrated. <laughs> yeah. You got a bit of crust on the side. But interesting. Interesting enough, I've, re- I've received. I've received a, a, an email from no, a text from the. Uh, NHS basically saying, um, if you're over 80, um, you will be lined up for a vaccine. Um, but I, I know they made a mistake because I'm not over 80. I'm still, you know, under 60. So your face, it looks maybe to them. It looks too much. <laughs> so, <laughs> they saw your picture and went, this is a senior citizen. <laughs> With so, someone needs to wheelchair this man around. <laughs> uh, no way, no way, man. I am still very much alive, kicking, and I'm going to go back and do comedy when live comedy starts again. So, um, what are your plans for the future? What what, what are you planning to do um, in the future? And where can people find you for my listeners? In, um, in terms of plans, we've got uh, 44 shows to execute starting in two weeks. Wow. So as part of the Perth Fringe World Festival, and you know we're donating part proceeds from all those ticket sales to uh, an Ethiopian orphanage called Kidana Mehret uh, Children's Home in uh, Ethiopia, Addis Ababa. So uh, we're donating part proceeds from that to there. So we're doing the shows. We're going to organize that, and then um, toward the end of toward the end of the year or mid uh, this year. I want to film while well, we're just working on dates. I want to film a theater show in front of like 600 people, record it professionally and try okay. to trick, you know, um, Netflix or whoever to buy it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's the plan this year. And then just, uh, yeah. Once I do that one, I'm sure another one will roll in. Well, I don't well. like to, my end plan is, you know, doing arena sellouts and, uh, you know, just on stage talking about my ugly friends and then President Obonjo uh, <laughs> is one of my ugliest friends. He's you know, so ugly. You know what's really interesting is because you're now well-fed 
and you're no longer hungry, you can talk rubbish. <laughs> I'm, I'm a spoiled brat. Now. You're a spoiled brat now. That uh, well-visioned child. He, he's overstayed his welcome in the overstayed, world. Overstayed. Welcome. Look, Joe, I wish you every success in your career. Um, I hope uh, eventually you will not need um, plastic surgery as you grow older. <laughs> 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 but uh, no, seriously, no, seriously no, I, I really enjoyed um, talking to you and we'll see what happens. Who knows um, what this pandemic, when it's going to be all over, because uh, I certainly want to tour the world. I want to go to lots of places. I, I'm hoping that uh, that we will get more downloads in Australia. When I look at the number of countries in terms of how many downloads, Australia is at the bottom of the downloads for uh, my podcast. So hopefully involving you is a test to see how popular you are. Definitely. And, and that is not just all ugly social media. Don't, don't put the pressure on me to get you out there. <laughs> You've already done all the damage that you could possibly would. What damage, have I, what damage have I done? So anyway, but guys... Um, if you come to Australia, I hope you do. But mm -hmm. if you do, get the surgery. Otherwise, they won't let you in the border. We have enough ugly people. We've met, we've met our border already. <laughs> I'll try to exceed it. Okay? <laughs> On that note, I would like to thank all my listeners. Um, we will be producing this as quickly as we can. You uh, were fortunate enough to listen and for those who will watch it on YouTube, two ugly African comedians. Uh, <laughs> one is a refugee uh, who is now well-fed and can talk nonsense <laughs> for an hour. And myself as a dictator. So I hope you have an ugly dictator. I hope you have enjoyed this. I certainly have. And um, look out for Joe White. He calls himself the Trevor Noah of uh, Ethiopia or Australia, one of the two. But guys, thank you so much. Uh, stay safe. And thank you so much. See ya. Yeah, see ya. This show is part of Podomity, the podcast comedy network. We're the best kept secret on Acast. Why not laugh at what else we've got? Check out podomity.com now.